Yeah. So uh, we, we're recording. So it's, I'll maybe clip some of that, or maybe I should start by saying this one's going to sound a little different, but that's because one, my voice is not back to normal. I'm still recovering from COVID. <laughs> and also, Anthony, you're on a phone, but it actually sounds pretty good, I think. I'm on a phone in a room. In a room. This is the first, this breaking barriers now that we're into our second hundred episodes. This being episode, I want to say 104, 105, or something like that. This is our first remote podcast ever. This is the first time I'm, I guess I'm not technically producing this episode because we have a robot in Discord named Craig with us. So shout out to intern Craig. Intern, because I'm not. Good job, Craig. Craig the Bear. One day he'll be a real uh, podcast host, I guess. Probably. Chad GP taking over. Or Skynet. Yeah, I know. Yeah, because that means Skynet goes live when the robots start having podcasts. Uh, okay, so today is actually the first episode of a new month, and this month, well, like I said, I had COVID this week, so it's going to be a little bit lower on the creativity side. This month's high school movies. I don't even have a name for it. It's high school movies this month. You and I are going to talk about Rushmore. Great movie by one of my favorite filmmakers, Wes Anderson, someone that you and I have talked about recently because of Asteroid City, but before we get into that... Is there anything good you've watched? Oh, I should say, yeah, I don't know how the podcast is going to start yet. It'll either be that whole spiel about how I had COVID and that's why this sounds a little weird, or it'll be something along the lines of, uh, welcome to Late to the Movies. This is, uh, my name is Ben Holt. This is a podcast where my friends and I get to fill in our movie blind spots. Each week, we'll pick a movie that either I or guests hadn't seen before and really should have by now. This week, the movie's Rushmore. This week, your guest is Anthony. Welcome, Anthony. Ben, um, Harvard was also my safety school. <laughs> Uh, yeah just uh, i feel like i feel like i have a lot in common with max yeah. <laughs> all those extracurriculars right exactly like i was saying before we get into the movie is have you watched anything good recently um yeah i i finished that this show on amazon prime called deadlock it's this australian crime show but it's uh extremely hilarious it's the two women that wrote it were big fans of um Broadchurch. And they actually, the title of the show originally was Funny Broadchurch. And it's just an excellent, excellent show. Um, it's, it's incredibly funny. Um, and it's just like, it has a, it's a very clever, it's very well written. Uh, I, it, excellent. I love it. I highly recommend. And then right. I, I watched, um, uh, what movie did we watch the other, the other night? Run Rabbit Run. It's okay. on Netflix. I don't know if you've ever seen it. No, I don't uh, think I have. It's also Australian, which is, I guess I'm on Australian month, but um, there you go. it wasn't very good. I wouldn't recommend that. And then I watched the remake of this very, this classic film called, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it, The River Wild with John C. Riley, Kevin Bacon and Meryl Streep. Yeah, I, so I haven't seen it, but the, the big picture podcast was talking about, there's a, there's a new one with the, um, Adam Brody, I want to say. Yeah, they remade it with Adam Brody and... Um, Is it Leighton uh, Easter, maybe? Yeah, yep, and then one of the girls from uh, Gossip Girl. Um, uh, I forgot her name. Blair something. Okay. And it's uh, it's not as good as the original, but um, it's on Netflix for free, but we, we decided to watch it because um, it's like a, a family favorite in this oh, household. Wow. The original, the original with Meryl Streep and Kevin Bacon and yeah, ironically, yeah. John C. Riley, who's not funny at all, but he tries to be like some sort of like a little bit of comic relief. He's just not funny, but 
the remake was not very good. So I watched uh, three things total since the last podcast. Two of them were terrible, and one was very good. <laughs> well, that's not a bad ratio. I mean, you're out there yeah, watching I'm, stuff. I'm still pissed that I haven't seen uh, Mission Impossible Seven yet, but I'm a little mad about that too. Um, not I have seen it. I went to see it in IMAX, but I'm mad that you haven't seen it. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll get there eventually. Good. Yeah. I mean, it'll be on Paramount probably before too long because it got really just blown right out of the water by Barbenheimer. So it, it's probably not going to be in theaters too much longer. Well, do you, you know, a movie I want to see is um, I went to the movies last Sunday okay, and it was packed. It was completely packed. And then I listened oh, yeah. to your, the podcast on the Truman Show because uh, I knew it, you guys had mentioned that it was National Cinema Day, I think, yep. when you recorded it. And they had sport exactly. So everybody, every little kid was in the movie theater. It was super annoying, but also glad to see. But I really want to see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Mutant Mayhem because I heard it was awesome. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet, but there's there's good stuff out there about it. It's by it's a Point Grey thing. That's um, so Seth and Evan from you know the characters in Superbad, the real life version. That's Seth, uh, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. That's their production company that made that. Yeah. So it's like that style of humor is my understanding. I haven't seen it yet either. And I, I guess the animation's drawn like it's um, a high school sort of like notebook, just sketch drawing. Yeah. It looks, it looks The animation looks really cool. And I, I read some, I read a review that uh, the, the movies also for like adults, just as much as it is for kids. Cause I guess the, a lot of the humor is, has a lot of a uh, very adult. So I, I can't wait to see it. It's going to, I think it's gonna be a great film. Yeah, that's just, um, I like, I like how it looks in the trailer and that's all I've yeah. seen of it so far. And I know people who have seen it have said it's, you know, it's not like, it doesn't seem to be getting this kind of hosannas that the Spider-Verse movies have, but people are very receptive to it. And I don't know, it's, it's a nostalgia thing for a lot of people, obviously from who yeah. can remember. And Jackie Chan and is Splinter. Like, it can't get any better. Than that's, that. that's good. That's good. Jackie Chan played a similar role in the Lego Ninjago movie. So if you're looking for another bad movie to fill out your weekend, that's, that's another option. Yeah, that was pretty bad. I'll, I'll check yeah. It um, yeah, it was like, I watched it. I don't know why I watched it, to be honest. I think because I liked the Lego movies and I liked the Lego Batman movie. So I checked out the Ninjago movie. Not good. <laughs> but I watched the whole thing because I, I commit, I guess. Um, I haven't watched anything since the last time I recorded. In fact, I watched less than I promised you that time because I had talked about how excited I was to go see uh, the Jurassic Park 3D re-release. And of course, yeah. I had tickets to go on Sunday, National Cinema Day. I tested positive for COVID Sunday morning, so I did not go to a packed theater to watch that movie that I own on, on you know, a physical 4K but this would have been in 3D and I've never seen it in 3D. So, uh, but I, whatever. It was, <laughs> in, uh, it was in real 3D, right? Not like, you don't, not glasses. You don't have to wear 3D glasses. No, I think it was the, like the real D 3D. They give you the sunglasses situation. Oh, like, okay. All right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I would have liked if it was just like in, you're just in the room with it, you know? No, that, that would have been awesome. I, I <laughs> Uh, that was also on my list to go see, but it was uh, everything was sold out because of National Cinema Day. Yeah, well, I if you were in the Providence area, you could have had my tickets, but oh well. Yeah, live and learn. <laughs> next next time, next time. 
yeah, yeah. It's it's the 3D that they did for the 20th anniversary. This was the 30th anniversary. So in 10 years, when it's back in theaters, hopefully I don't get COVID again. Um, by then, by then I think we'll figure out a nice cure. That's as good a transition as any, unless there's anything else you want to talk about before we get into Rushmore. No, no, that I uh, I've never seen this film, but I but I liked it a lot. I, I watched um I watched it today in, in like spurts, but I thought it was an excellent film. I I really like um. It's like it's laying the foundation for you can see where where Wes Anderson is today based on these this film. Right. So, yeah, that that's absolutely it. And I was surprised and delighted that you hadn't seen this yet. Like I mentioned before, we talked about Asteroid City recently and how much we both enjoyed it. So I just assumed you would. Uh, I mean, Asteroid City feels like a much more complicated version of the stuff he's been trying to express since bottle rocket but especially in this movie when it really starts to crystallize his form and style and the font that he always uses is in this and i mean jason schwartzman is in so many of his movies obviously as max but i yeah i'm glad you liked it because i i freaking love this movie <laughs> yeah i yeah i um i think i do think i i mean having never seen it and haven't seen so many of his films i think it's which is probably a shame but i, I think it's one of his better films yeah, that's the consensus is that this is for most people in the top. Well, it's their top or it's maybe Royal Tannenbaums uh, or Grand Budapest. And then obviously, you know, everyone has different opinions. But I feel like those are the three that are usually in the top three of most people. Um, uh, it's probably mine in some order, but this is this is right near the top. This is this is major Wes Anderson for sure. Yeah. And it's a good time to talk about him, too. Not just Asteroid City, but he just had another movie that's going to come out this year. Um, a short. I think it's only 40 minutes long. He just had that premiere at Venice this week. And I think it's coming to Netflix in October. It's called The Wonderful Life of Henry Sugar. Uh, if you can hear keys typing, that's because I'm sitting on my computer while we're recording this. And I'm trying to... Ah, the The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar. 39 minutes coming to Netflix in, the premise? I think, October. So it's another Roald Dahl adaptation. I say another because Fantastic Mr. Fox in 2009 was also a Wes yep. Anderson. Um, that's the kind of thing that I assume people know, but, you know, every people who aren't obsessed with this stuff listen to this podcast too. Maybe you didn't know that. This will be a second Roald Dahl adaptation. And um, it stars Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, Ray Fiennes is in it, Dev Patel, Ben Kingsley, Rupert Friend, and Richard Ayoade is also in it. And that's all I know about it. I don't, I'm not actually familiar with the story, but um, it's live action. Um, it's not stop motion like Mr. Fox was. So uh, yeah, it just was shown to people yesterday and people apparently liked it. And it'll oh, be nice. for, um, for us people the those of us who can't afford to go to Venice to watch a um, 39 minute Wes Anderson movie. Uh, it's actually looks like a limited theatrical release September 20th and it's on Netflix September 27th. So that's uh, earlier than I thought it'd be. That's great. Yeah, no, and, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty incredible cast. So. But in, in a, well, that just reminds me of all the other things that we talked about on the previous podcast. Now that the weather is uh, getting a little cooler and five minutes, f five nights at Freddy's coming out. I uh, can't wait. And then. Uh, uh, Her Hercule Poirot and his haunting in Venice. Yeah. Uh, 
so many good films coming out in the fall. Yeah, I know the brand on his crazy mustache holding down, I guess, the horror movie tip for the fall. Um, why not? <laughs> I've been mentioning recently that I, I that I I'm feeling the horror movie itch again. It's it's time for sure. It's yeah. still it's still going to be, I think, in the 80s and humid next week. But today it was in the 60s when I went for a walk. So yeah, it's, this morning it's fall. It was 56. Yeah. Yeah, it's fall. <laughs> Um, which is why this month is high school month, and this is a good movie to do it because it actually starts in September. Um, you mentioned that you watched it in pieces, and this is a movie that I feel like really specifically is good to do that in because it divides itself into chapters with a literal curtain and uh, the name of the month, I think, September through January. So probably not you're not losing too much by watching it in pieces like you had to today, I don't think. Yeah, well, yeah, but I mean, still... Yeah, I feel like all all of his films have a definite, um, you know, act one, act two, act three type clearly defined settings. But um, no, you're you're right. You, I feel like you can watch any of his films in, in pieces in a way. For sure. And um, I guess indicative of how unusual this is, I haven't asked yet. Do you want to do a one minute plot summary? Um, you want to try and try and freestyle one off the cuff? Yeah. Unusual yeah, uh, yeah. for you, but. Un, <laughs> unusual, untypical freestyle in a one-minute plot summary. Um, Go for it. Okay. Um, Middle-class Max is an eccentric high schooler at Rushmore High who is enamored with extracurricular activities. But he gets put on academic probation. Um, he then meets uh, a lunatic sort of industrialist in Herman Bloom. Bill Murray's character, who uh, they take a liking to each other. But then one day in the library, Max re, uh, reading a book, he finds this passage left by uh, the one of the book's previous borrowers, uh, Rosemary Cross. They He develops a little bit of a crush on her. Then as he becomes closer friends with Mr. Herman Bloom, they realize they fall in love with the same woman. The rest of the movie is them sort of trying to outdo each other for the love of the same woman, even though Max is 15 and she's at twice his age. And um, they both realize that she is their respect. She is each of their respective Rushmore's. Uh, they learn a lot of life lessons along the way. They realize um, they come to some sort of grips with each other. Uh, and then Max, as a way to pay homage to his older friend that he's made, he creates this great, one play Vietnam War inspired theme play that uh, has a lot of explosions. <laughs> and then it ends with Max actually falling in love with the girl that's appropriate for his own age. That's yeah. it. That's, that's pretty much it. <laughs> that's, I mean, yeah, that's better than most people do it, even without the pre writing no. assignment that you yeah, should do. I got to write it down. It's hard to do off the cuff. It's hard to do off the cuff. Yeah, that's, that's, what's, that's why it's good. <laughs> Um, so should mention this is in a sense, our first Owen Wilson movie because, uh, he's not in it, but he wrote it. His brother's in it, Luke Wilson and, uh, Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson co-wrote it. And I guess it's mostly somewhat autobiographically, or at least inspired by Owen Wilson's own upbringing in Texas, where he was expelled from his own prep school and had his own crush on an older woman. 
and lots of ambition, but lack of ad- academic motivation. Um, that fits for what you'd imagine Owen Wilson was like as a 15 year old. Oh yeah, for sure. Just that slack jaw sort of, uh, maybe wise wow. ass. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, ah, man, I, I wish he would still write it. I don't know why he doesn't, you know, it feels like neither of the Wilsons work with Wes Anderson anymore. They're doing their own thing. It's fine. Well, but, he made that that movie that's based on uh, Bob Ross in a way, and I heard it was terrible. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, he got he's got to get back on the set with uh, Wes and work work out whatever issues drove them apart. I don't I don't know that there are any. They just don't work together anymore, and I feel like they should. I think right. what happened is Owen Wilson became an A list actor in comedies and, and made like actual mainstream A lister money and didn't need to right. make indie movies yeah, anymore. He just, maybe. Right. He he became too big for the small screen. Yeah. Um, they consider Macaulay Culkin before finding Jason Schwartzman. This launches his career and he's been in a ton of other Wes Anderson movies, but this, I guess you'd say is one of his three starring roles in Wes Anderson movies with Darjeeling limited and, uh, most recently asteroid city. And, um, it's is not it, this ju- is his first yeah. time on film. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. This is a discovery of, um, Jason Schwartzman and what, yeah. a I mean, what a role to kind of debut in because <laughs> it's, you don't know how much of it became persona and how much he actually brought to it, but it is a lot. It's a lot of the affectations he's carried in a lot of other roles he's had, even not with Wes Anderson. Um, well, he's, I, uh, he's I mean, awesome what? in this. Just watching Asteroid City, uh, it's I was rem- just reminded of um, like, well, is Jason Schwartzman in Asteroid City? Is he just doing a rendition of himself in Rushmore? That's that's what I thought watching this film. <laughs> kind of, I mean, it's all very self kind of reflective. It feels like when they work together, and there's also yeah. a part of it that's pretty much every Wes Anderson's protagonist or at least every Wes Anderson story someone's someone's mom's dead and or their partner's dead or they're they have a parent that died or a spouse or whatever like every that's that's present in pretty much all of his movies maybe not Fantastic Mr. Fox I don't remember but still doesn't the cousin the cousin that comes to Fantastic Mr. Fox oh right because the cousin's there for some reason you might be right. I don't remember. Uh, so all of the, so both the Wilsons and Wes Anderson, they all went to these Texas prep schools. Um, Wes Anderson's from Houston. I think the one that Owen Wilson got kicked out of at least is in Dallas, but they're all Texas guys. Um, that's one of the, I guess people who are only familiar with Wes Anderson more recently are surprised to hear he's, you know, a Texan and not, uh, some baguette toting Frenchman, I guess. Yeah, probably. Oh, that yeah, too. yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, Some hippie hey, from California. He strikes you as that a little bit, but nah. Yeah. And, and then when I, I guess we probably should talk about Bill Murray also. This is the kickoff of his successful second career in indie movies, pretty much. Right, right. But you know who's not? You know who not is not in this film is um the the alien <laughs> in Asteroid City. Oh, Goldblum. Yeah, they hadn't made that connection yeah, yet, I guess. Yeah. No, yeah, right. They're not friends yet. 
They're not friends yet. There, there's definitely people in this movie that I wish were like the Goldblum and Willem Dafoe, you know, eighth or ninth builds, but has a couple great lines in every Wes Anderson movie thing. Uh, Brian Cox is in this movie. Yeah. Most most recently seen as Succession. Um, he always has a great ensemble. Bill Murray in this, like you said, is Herman Bloom. He liked the script so much that he worked for scale. Wes Anderson estimated that it was around $9,000. Really? And uh, he just wanted to be I, in it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he, he's the best. He he gives the best, um, his like, you know, so his like diatribe in the beginning when he's talking to the uh, Rushmore Academy students and he just, he's basically like, take take dead aim on the rich boys because why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's, <laughs> you, you got to do it. And then he um, says, they, I... they can buy anything, but they can't buy Backbone. Now, that's one of my favorite lines in the whole film. <laughs> and uh, Max is the only one that applauds. Everyone else is kind of just like, I was weirdly aggro for morning <laughs> yeah, church. Right, yeah, right. <laughs> well, because everybody else is rich, and these two bond over their, lack, their middle-class uh, upbringings. Yes. <laughs> uh, should probably mention, so... Jason Schwartzman was a discovery, but I kind of remiss in not mentioning he's actually a Coppola. Um, they Wes Anderson met him at a party because of Sophia Coppola, Jason Schwartzman's cousin, which is Francis Ford Coppola is his uncle. Uh, Talia Shire is his mom. Nicholas Cage is his cousin. So it's not like he came out of nowhere, but still yeah. for the first time on screen, what a what a great role to sort of get to play. I didn't know that Nick, I didn't, I didn't know he was a Coppola and Nick Cage was his cousin. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that must be really, really fun family reunions. I know. Right. Any, well, any reunion where Nick Cage is at has got to be pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> Sophia Coppola has a new movie also premiering at Venice. Priscilla, in case you wanted another Elvis biopic, but not really, because this one's about Priscilla and is not sanctioned by the Elvis estate and they can't use any of his move and any of his music. So that probably is a good thing, right? That probably means it's good. No, I think that means it's going to stink. <laughs> I like Sophia. So I, I hope, I hope it's good, but anyway. yeah, we'll, we'll give her the benefit of the doubt, but I don't know. The Elvis, um, I don't know. A state doesn't like you getting into the whole, she was 14 when they started dating thing. Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> Um, other people around the periphery, Alexis Bledel from Gilmore Girls is in a couple shots, but she doesn't have any lines. Um, uh, I don't know if you caught that. <laughs> no, I, I, I totally, I didn't even pick up on that at all. Yeah. She's in Grover Cleveland high school when he has to go to the public school. She's in oh, the, gotcha, that first okay. classroom scene yep. sitting next to him. <laughs> oh, wild. Um, wild. Yeah. And as far as this movie, I love that the high school is named after Grover Cleveland. That's yeah. uh, I love when high schools are named after irrelevant presidents. Yeah. So we haven't really talked about the plot at all, but Max is in a lot of extracurriculars. And after that chapel scene with Herman Bloom, um, there's the really famous sequence montage, I guess, going through all the different clubs that he's a part of, in the mo and for the most part is president of or founded himself. Yeah. Um, and I had a roommate in college that had 
a poster of the, I don't know what it, I, I should have kept it in mind, the racing club when he's sitting on the go-kart, um, which isn't like a particularly called out part of it, but that's, that's the poster he had. So there you go. <laughs> well, I, I, it's just, it's just very funny that, um, oh, yeah, it's extremely funny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the whole pacing of this movie and the way it's edited is well i guess it's a sort of a consummate indie movie but it's also just sort of off kilter it's in this kind of heightened reality that is still so much more grounded than where wes anderson is working today <laughs> um but it, it, it's nice we've been saying that this is the emergence and really solidification of a lot of his tendencies and stylistic hallmarks but it's still so grounded in an only kind of heightened world that it doesn't, you know, it's not as out of nowhere when it hits you with like a, like an emotional gut punch. All his movies have an emotional gut punch, right? This one is, is more just like, yeah, this is just a sad kid. And and you're never too far from the fact that this is a sad kid who doesn't really fit in, in where he is in the world. (laughs) But, but he fits in enough to, or maybe he's just relentless to to make all these clubs and have people join them. Yeah. Yeah. He keeps making maybe, because maybe he's he's as a middle class kid he's he has to figure out how to make friends or maybe overcompensate for not being rich. That makes sense. Um I mean he clearly feels like he has to compensate or at least lie about what his dad does. Right. Uh yeah, well that's one of my other favorite lines in the film at the end when um He's, uh, his dad's sitting next to someone uh, at the dinner at the table there at the at the end of the play. Yeah, and the, and the guy says to him, "So I hear you're. Uh, I think he says, what he, I hear you're a neurosurgeon." He says, "No, I'm a barber, but people confuse me. They, people make that assumption frequently, or something like that." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's Luke Wilson, and yeah, when people are starting to dance, kind of. Yeah, exactly. Yep. That's uh, Seymour Cassell who plays Bert, his dad, the the barber slash neurosurgeon. It was uh, just wonderful. He's not in this movie that much, but he's just a really kind of, I I don't know how to really to phrase it, but a very warm presence and a kind of yeah. unusual like father presence in movies like this, I feel like. And this is way later, but the scene where he and uh, Herman Bill Murray's character finally meet is, is one of like really understated, but just... That's one of the emotional cut punch moments yeah. when you, when you yeah. see Herman is just sort of figuring out everything about Max and like, right. putting together all the pieces and also Herman's been in such a bad place. And this is clearly the first time anyone's been nice to him in months. Right. Exactly. Um, it's just all good stuff. And uh, yeah, we're, we're skipping around a lot, but I, I promised that this would be a short episode. So I think that's okay. We don't need to go step-by-step step through this, but I do do want to mention a couple of things. Uh, Max, despite not fitting in that well, has something resembling friends in the form of Dirk, a younger student who has a hot mom. That's not my, I'm, you know, that's just in the text of the film. That's how all, yeah. all the students see her. And um, there's well, kind of bullies. There's a, a Scottish kid who's here, yeah, I guess. In of Texas. course, of course, a Scottish kid is a bully, right? Yeah. It's because <laughs> he has an accent. Right. And he has like a cauliflower ear. He looks like he's been boxing for years or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Cinderella man is a student at school. Yep. And then because of a 
handwritten quotation that Max sees in a book about, um, oh my God, I'm blaming COVID for forgetting the, the sea explorer. Yeah. Jacques, well, um, Jacques Cousteau. Right. Yeah, of course. Jacques Cousteau. The, the only which, sea explorer which, people come to mind. Which is, um, when I saw that scene is I'm like, Oh, here's uh, the life aquatic with Steve yep. zoo. Here's the exact basis for it right here. Yes. I thought that was pretty, pretty cool. Yes. 100%. There's so much about like ocean exploring. That's just books. People are reading in the background that you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. This is just a thing that he's already interested in here. Um, that character that, that wrote that quote is a first grade teacher, Rosemary played by Olivia Williams. And um, having not seen this movie before, that whole plot line must. I mean, it's it's pretty weird. I don't. Well, I was trying to I was trying to figure out too. Like, um, did is this? I know this is kind of based on Owen Wilson's life, but I don't know. Did he have a? I guess he had a crush on one of his teachers, and he's just sort of writing it out, right? And I, I, that's not. Yeah. I mean, that's not an unreasonable thing to. Yeah, maybe it's understand. cathartic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah. There's there's a couple scenes on rewatch that are a little tough not to fast forward, but that's right. Mostly when I mean the dinner where Max gets drunk, especially, but pretty early on, Max is just sort of obsessed, infatuated with uh, Rosemary and starts like trying to stock all her aquariums after the library book in Jacques Cousseau, they that's this is when he gets kicked out of Rushmore and he has to attend Grover Cleveland High. Um, I like that he tries to sort of start a fencing club by himself. That's just a great it's not even really yeah. a scene, just when the basketball team comes in. And then he's in, yeah, right. in his I know there's a word, but the fencing uniform on the payphone out in the hallway. Yeah. Stuff. No, that's just it's just so funny. But the the thing the but the one thing about this film is it's not uh, as maybe colorful as some of the other Wes Anderson films. It, de- it still has the sort of uh, setup to it. Yeah. But Asteroid City had a lot of uh, sort of bright, well, maybe because a little different takes place in the fifties in the desert. But I remember, I remember too, just like uh, uh French dispatch and oh yeah, Grand Budapest. And just like the, the sort of like the more of the stop action and the, 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 the colors really popping out. And I think this one, this one just seems more muted to me. Really? So, I mean, I, t- I totally agree. And he goes to Royal Tannenbaum's, I believe, next. And then you're into full color coding. Ben Stiller and his sons all wearing the red tracksuit stuff. Right, um, right, right. But this is, I, I feel like it stands out even so much more because I guess because they wanted to be true to their own upbringing in the sort of industrial wasteland of suburban Houston, but there's just so much sprawl here. That's just concrete and old factories. And that's not at all what you associate with Wes Anderson today at all. Like exactly what you're saying. Um, yeah. That, yeah. That's, that's, that's a good way to put it. I think, um, I think, yeah, that's, that's more, that's better than one. That's a better way to put it. Yeah. It's more industrial. For sure. Yeah. There's so much of it. So them hanging out and like, huge parking lots right that just go on forever outside of old huge buildings that some kind of factory you can't even tell what anymore um and i don't know if it's ever clear exactly what herman bloom's company is doing either but it's definitely factory stuff yeah well uh we'll say oil yeah yeah i'm sure it's 
obvious to people who know that stuff better than me, but it's not clear to me. And the movie doesn't make yeah. it clear. It's not important. Right. He's just, he's got eh, probably, he's got $10 million. He doesn't really know. <laughs> exactly. Um, funnily enough, that's the budget for this movie as well. So like you said, he gets kicked out. He's over at Grover Cleveland. That scene in particular, when he's in the fencing garb and he's on the, public phone worth calling out because that is of course the scene when he's talking to Bill Murray that Bill Murray jumps over the fence, walks through a small children's basketball game and blocks a shot while on the phone. Yeah. Uh, so random, probably the funniest part of the movie. Yeah. 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 So totally random, but uh, very, very Wes Anderson. Very. Yeah. It's just very kind of just happens. Deadpan matter, matter of fact, even right. in the physical comedy. Um, and this is Bill Murray, of course, walking up to the school and supposedly the middle of a weekday to spy through the window on this first grade classroom for his 15 year old friend. Yep. <laughs> um, through all this spying and trying to patch things up between Rosemary and Max, Bloom ends up falling in love with Rosemary um, because they're, they, they all start hanging out. This is one of the kind of vignettes in the movie where they're all they're playing tennis together and they're doing trips and outings as a, as a weird pair of not even pair as a weird group of three completely different people. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, they, they end up kind of falling for each other. And that makes Max really mad. And that leads because he lied about Dirk's mom, Dirk tells him, and then there's a prank war for a little while. There's a lot of stuff that just kind of happens. And then it, and then it's done happening and then it moves on, which I guess is is a little bit true of how a 15 year old might perceive the world also. Yeah. Well, um, who's the one that discovers that uh, Bloom and Rosemary? It's Dirk, right? He discovers yeah, that. Yeah. Bloom and Rosemary. Yeah. And then because um, Max he, sort of Max picks on him, uh, says something about his mother that he's, I don't know, his mother hooked up with somebody or something like that. Yeah. Well, so he Dirk. claims he's he claims to the Scottish bully that Dirk's mother gave him a hand job. Oh, and right. Then, yep. And then Dirk finds out about that and is mad. Yeah. So Dirk wants to take revenge. I I love that <laughs> the letter that he writes him where that they were skinny dipping and giving each other hand jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but the, but when Dirk takes revenge, though, it's it's Ma that's when the escalation starts of the sort of like the prank war, because then Max tells Bloom's wife. That yeah. uh, he's having an affair, then he, now he's going through a divorce. And then uh, the, probably the funniest part is when Max. Um, gets arrested for cutting the brake lines on Bloom's car and then Bl the car spins out into the middle of an intersection. And he, when uh, Bloom calls the cops, he's like, oh, I, I know exactly who did it. About 112 pounds, dark hair, glasses. And then, so he, he like, you know, pegs him for the crime. <laughs> uh, and then, then the whole thing kind of gets called off when Max sort of just gives up. Then he meets uh, Bloom at, at his mom's grave. Um, this is after... Think this is after? No, no, no. Well, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. No. He, he, yeah, he yeah, does eventually ahead. give up. He, he tries to get. Um, he oh, tries right. to take. He tries to take the pictures of uh, Rosemary and Bloom, 
but then um she she resigns from the from rushmore and the school in general guggenheim he learns from guggenheim that yeah um she resigned then he yep. gives up he's, he's, he seems like he's starting to skip school he's kind of just like doing barbershop stuff and then dirk yeah. stops by one day to give him a christmas present yep to apologize yeah he, he cut he yeah he just he sort of like drops out of school and just starts cutting hair with his dad, which is I pretty I don't know which is like a very respectable uh, profession. Yeah, it seems like he's good at it. There, that's yeah. Yeah, I like it. it's one of those kind of old timey places that seems to just give you the one haircut. But if people like it, it you know you can expect to get it there for sure. <laughs> Dude, as a this comes from a guy who's had the same barber since uh, I was maybe four years old, so you can't. <laughs> You could cut my hair blindfolded. Is that you gotta you, you gotta have a good barber, you know? You gotta. <laughs> um, that's a. I mean, goes without saying, these are all good scenes. But just to give a, just a little give a little commentary after promising we weren't just gonna go through the plot. Um, yeah, it's all good. I, I like the scene where he he's like kind of giving up on the prank war at the grave, and he tells him I was gonna like drop that tree on you. It's all very matter of fact. And yeah, just, right. Yeah. You know, what, that would have pancaked me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, I mean, it's the Bill Murray and uh, interacting with kids thing. That's sort of always golds that, you know, he just doesn't treat him like a kid. He just treats him like an equal and right. it just works. Um, well, too. And the dialogue in this film is also very Wes Anderson, just, um, you know, very smooth and a lot of one liners. A lot yeah. of wit. Hey, that's some Owen Wilson credit too. <laughs> yeah, that's true too. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, credit to Owen Wilson. So back to where we were with uh, Dirk at the barber shop. He tells Max that Guggenheim had a stroke. Goes to visit him at the hospital. Um, he sees Bloom there, and I like that. I mean, the delivery that Murray has there on the. Um, I forget the exact line and I wish I didn't. Sorry. But when he's like, eh, been a bit lonely as he's walking out of the elevator, it's just yeah. really, really kind of heartbreaking. And he looks terrible too. <laughs> but, yeah. He's, he's, he's when you don't have anybody to sort of like amp you up, he's, you know, there's no more prank war, there's no more competition. So they're, they're both kind of just, uh, yep. Rosemary broke up. up with him. Yep. He thinks cause she's still in love with her dead husband, Edward Appleby. Mostly only yep. referred to by full name. Very English. Yeah. Allegedly. I don't know if he's English or not, but it sounds like an English guy to me. It really does. <laughs> uh, Max starts going back to school. He starts to improve his grade. You see that he got a C minus in yep. math, I think. Um, this is when he pretends to be injured in a car accident and... And you're like, oh man, I thought we were over this, but no, he 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 takes another shot at trying to get with yeah, Rosemary, yeah. a full adult. Um, and, and then she almost believes him, but then she says, uh, "What is this fake blood?" He says, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, it is." <laughs> uh, so she's mad at him again. They they invite her to an aquarium groundbreaking, which Sherman says he paid eight million dollars for. She obviously doesn't show up. But then he stages his Vietnam War themed play at Grover Cleveland. And this is kind of into the finale of the movie. Uh, wh what did you think of um, Heaven and Hell, the, the Vietnam War play that he puts on? 
No, so to me, this is the my uh, total complete favorite part of the film. I thought uh, the last sort of like twenty minutes is the is the best part of this whole movie. The the Vietnam War film is just over the top and fantastic. It's all funny. It's just so funny, and yeah, just deli- the de- deadpan delivery from everyone and the buy-in yeah. from everyone is what makes it yeah, so exactly. funny. That he comes out and he ends his speech before, well, after dedicating it to his mom. And to Rosemary's dead husband, and he says, "Oh, and there's um, ear protection and uh, safety glasses under your chairs if you if you need them." And within the first, like I think, ten seconds of the play, everyone puts them on. Yeah, with the with, yeah the the fake uh, the fighter jet flies in the background, starts uh, bombing the the jungle, and then everybody puts their glasses on. Yeah, there's that one point in the play where they're like. Um, oh, no one's going to believe this. It's like, no, we're going to believe it. Get me the ketchup. And then you see the behind the scenes yeah. and they're all getting their makeup redone. That's just, uh, it's, that was, that was just so good. It also kind of like, uh, asteroid city, a, a play within a, a movie, which is, yeah. I don't know. Very good. He, he likes doing it. <laughs> yeah. He likes including the, the framing within the frame. Right. Um, Bloom told Max earlier that he was a Vietnam veteran, that he was, yes, he was in the shit. Um, and him, he seems to be pretty into it at intermission. He kind of reconciles maybe with Rosemary. And then, uh, as, as it ends, he seems to be extremely touched by the play. Everyone seems to love it. <laughs> it's, they I like get the, the standing ovation. Yeah. They show the groundskeeper from Rushmore and he's just like, like screaming, laughing kind of. Right. And one of his two or three lines in the movie. Um, well, and yeah, well, people dig he, it. To, to go back a little bit, Max sets yeah. up Bloom and Rosemary. He he set, he puts yes. um, he gets them to get the two seats right next to each other. He's he's kind of parent trapping them, yeah. Right, exactly. Because uh, he knows after, that. Yep. Maybe maybe for not for him, maybe in another life, but for for Bloom, you know, she is his Rushmore. Yeah, and we we kind of skipped over that there's um, Margaret Yang, a classmate who he was rude to for the whole time he's at Grover Cleveland until he was sort of getting turning his life around and becoming a better person once he sort of reconciled with Dirk. They're flying kites, and then they started spending more time together, and they have like a little thing going on. So he's his mind's elsewhere on top of everything else. Right, exactly. Um, At the after play party. There's the nice people meeting each other. It's just good vibes. Everyone starts dancing. That's nice too. <laughs> it's just nice. All, all the music we haven't mentioned. All the music in this movie, I think, is really good too. Oh, it's f- phenomenal uh, soundtrack. Ton of classic rock. One of the few times you'll see um, a movie that's considered cool have a needle drop on a quick one while he's away by the Who. That's during the prank war uh, montage <laughs> earlier. <laughs> yep. But yeah, so much good stuff in, in that music wise. And uh the non soundtrack music was Mark Mothersbaugh from well, I mean he has a whole, whole career as as a composer also, but also the front man of Devo. Yeah. Well yeah, yeah one of his songs I, I did I was looking up the soundtrack before and uh one of his songs was another um another quote from the movie that I really liked with uh with that when Dirk because Max is so mean to Dirk that what Dirk says yeah. to him, um, "With friends like you, who needs friends? Who needs friends?" Which I'm gonna I'm gonna start using that more often, especially at work. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, but hey, but there is a, there is a, movie rocks. a soundtrack. There is a Max Mothersbaugh does uh, does a little song called "Friends Like You Who Needs Friends." <laughs> yeah, ah, uh, it's good. So I don't know if we mentioned before. This is a 1998 film. Uh, modest box office. They made it for about 10 million. It made a little under 20. Technically a success, but almost doubled its budget. And um, reception-wise, though, critics loved it. Gets nominated for some Golden Globes. Obviously, at the uh, this when it screens at film festivals and in indie awards bodies, it gets a lot of love that year too. And uh, yeah, a lot of people from this movie are sort of rocket launched into their real big boy careers, and they get to make whatever they want next. Well, just to go back for to, for one second at the at the end of the at the end of the movie when um, he he does sneak a dance in with Rosemary, but he but he learns that maybe you know he does accept uh, Margaret's advances towards him, and he falls in love with Margaret, mm. who are, because they're both you know fifteen year olds in high school and not a teacher. So maybe maybe that's Owen oh, Wilson writing in like, oh, I finally learned to accept sort of the lot I'm in instead of trying to be someone I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I thought that, I thought that was a good, good way to end it. Absolutely. And it's uh ending on the slow-mo of him dancing with Rosemary. Yeah. And everyone, everyone dancing in slow-mo to that song that ends a lot of movies. Folding <laughs> uh, time by semi-sonic. No. I <laughs> uh, wish I knew then what I know now yeah, when I was right, younger. Yeah. Um, and the curtains close for a final time. Right. Directed by Wes Anderson. Good stuff. Um, but yeah, no, but I, I feel like a lot of um, movie, like Wes Anderson makes movies for people who really like movies. I I feel like, so even though like Bottle Rocket bombed, people are like, oh, this guy's, this is the next big thing. And people, and I think real, real movie insiders yeah. really like Wes Anderson for that reason. Yeah, the people who get it. Yeah, exactly. Or or maybe they don't get it and it is too too cool, but well maybe. <laughs> um Max Fisher, one of the characters of I guess indie movies, <laughs> indie cinema, especially of the nineties, and uh calling card for Schwartzman for the rest of his career. Yeah. Like you said, I feel like he's it's hard to see him in a movie and not feel like he's riffing on that character in one way or another. Um, well, his character also reminded me of, um, he's in season three of Fargo three or four. It's the, season in four. the past season, right? Something yeah. Like that. Yeah. Yep. I know multiple uh, of them are in the past, but the one that's like really far back with Chris rock, I want to say something like that. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he sort of plays like this goofy mob boss. Nice. But but he's not it it does it really does feel like he's riffing off of this exact character. It's like, oh play Max Fisher as a mob boss. Okay. Yeah, or or Wes Anderson's like, hey, play Max Fisher as a oh, I don't know, as a New England camp counselor in the sixties. Yeah, right. <laughs> in the in the couple scenes of uh Moonrise Kingdom that he's in. It's it's just yeah, always ex- good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah, I hope we do more Wes Anderson movies. Uh, we're coming up on 10, so I do want to get into like the the other stuff. But first, 
Let's give this one a rating. I, I already said I love this movie, so it won't be too much of a surprise on mine. But I got to think of an object because, as you know, you can give it on anything from a 0.5 to 5 on any scale you're choosing besides stars. And I'll put all these on the letterboxed. What you got? Or I can go first if you want. Doesn't matter. No, um, I give this movie uh, 4.5 kite flying clubs out of 5. That's good. Okay, so I am going to have to adjust. Give me one sec. <laughs> what, that's my... Are you going to use the same one? Not specifically kite flying clubs, so I was going to use some type of club or extra group. Oh, that's my favorite club that he, that he started at the end, the kite flying club. Um, this one for me is five punctuality award pins oh, out of perfect. five. That's a good one. Yeah, that, that's another good scene. Like... Here's my, here's the punctuality and the, the, oh, was the other attendance, pin? I think perfect attendance pin from Rushmore. Yeah. Pick, pick, yeah. pick which one you want. And Bloom chooses punctuality. It's just good. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if we hit this enough, but this is, I mean, I think all of Wes Anderson's movies are funnier than people who haven't seen them realize, but this might be his funniest or it's up there for sure. Yeah. Maybe grand Budapest is funnier, but that one also has Nazis and, you know, sadness. <laughs> well, I, I, they're all, yeah, they're all incredibly funny and sort of like a hidden in, in my favorite type of humor, sort of this hidden sarcastic, yeah, uh, witty type, you know, just, just, I mean, it's not like laugh out loud funny, but it's very, it's clever and very, um, makes you think kind of funny. Yeah. In the fake play or well, the fake staging of the fake play within the TV show, that makes up asteroid city the character that the character that scarlett johansson is playing says something that i think is somewhat self-parodying from wes anderson when she says to jason schwarzen's character like i think we're just people who don't know how to emotionally react to anything but we don't want to think about it or something like that <laughs> yeah 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 goodness yeah exactly exactly and uh, both very funny, but also pretty accurate. That's a lot of his characters. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I've been like completely addled and not sure if I've strung any sentences together this whole time. Hopefully I did. Before I let you go, though, I'm going to try and string together this month thematically. It's going to be all high school movies. So let's go with this. If there was a movie made about your time in high school, who would you want to play you? What actor? And I guess to be fair, it can be like an actor from any time period. Like if you want to say like Matthew Broderick in the eighties or something, it doesn't just have to be today. Uh, <laughs> what a random, that's no, that's a good one. That's a good one. It would be, um, that's all I got, man. The, it's gotta be this. Napoleon, <laughs> the guy from the guy from Napoleon dynamite, John heater. <laughs> just a, yeah. Just a total nerd character. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to go with Tom Cruise, but I feel like that'd be too obvious. <laughs> yeah. Well, everyone was thinking, I mean, it's a, it's a coin toss between Tom Cruise and John heater. You know, they're really just, if yeah. you can't get Cruise, you call up heater. He's, he's next on deck. I thought he was supposed to take over. Yeah. I think it was around ghost protocol. We all thought that he was going to take over mission impossible from Tom Cruise, but no. Right. To re uh, to re answer that, to re answer that question, I think it would be, Michael Sarah. 
That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that'd be, that's a pretty good character for me. Not that I knew you when you were in high school, but I'm assuming you're thinking maybe specifically about Superbad. Yeah, or just well, Michael Sarah and your Arrested Development, maybe. Yeah, exactly. A little bit, of, a little like a mix of both, mix of Superbad okay. and Arrested Development. Okay, okay, I can see that for sure. Um, wasn't going to do this, but hard for me not to take Jonah Hill now. So I will say Jonah Hill. In any of his uh, school-aged things. He made Accepted, which is about college, I think before he made Superbad, if I'm not mistaken. But somewhere in that area of Jonah Hill. You, you would take the Jonah Hill from Wolf of Wall Street? That was your high school experience? <laughs> Women's shoes, yeah. Just on quaaludes, <laughs> crawling up, uh, <laughs> trying to crawl up the steps. <laughs> no, yeah, I could see you as as like the stack guy in, in high school, just doing Siva metrics at, at lunch. <laughs> Uh, I wish more and more just uh, comic relief, I think. <laughs> yeah, that, that's no, that'd be that'd be funny. That'd be a funny pick. Yeah, yeah, I'll go with that. All right. Anything else we want to say about this movie or I guess movies in general? Uh, no, I, I think this was a this was a great film. I, I can't wait for the next uh, anniversary month that I can use this one as uh, glad. Oh, this came nice. around so I could watch it. Yeah. All right. Well, episode 200, that'll be coming to you. I think, I think I worked out that it was like late spring, early summer, 2025 or something. If we keep going. Yeah. So, uh, well, why not? And it's not like we're going to run out of movies. No, they I mean, I, I saved Latin. What, what did you ever do? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a good note to end on. So this month, yeah. high school month, um, trying to not just make like, you know, kind of buzzy high school comedies. And instead, I think this is a different vibe. I don't know if it'll be next, but I know we're doing Carrie. That's a, definitely a little bit of a different vibe. Oh, that's, that's what I've got one. confirmed so far. We're going to throw a John Hughes in there because we got to I just don't know which yeah, one yet. Yeah. Yep. And then speaking of Jonah Hill, I'm kind of hoping to do 21 Jump Street. Everyone I know has seen it, though. So we'll see what happens. Anyway, thanks, Anthony, so much for being on. Thanks for working through this sort of weird setup. I think it worked out. I guess I'll see if Craig did his job and recorded everything. Well, yeah. Hopefully he didn't race at all. And if he did, I, I really apologize because this episode will never be heard. We'll see what happens. Into the ether. Into the ether. But Hey, it was good to talk to you about Rushmore. Even if no one else ever hears it. Thanks. Thanks, Anthony. Hey, no, thank you. Uh, you can check out our link tree on linktr.ee slash late to the movies. All the links are there. I'm too tired to do anything else. Have a good, have a good day. Buy some stuff. Buy some stuff. Thanks, Anthony. Thank you. See ya.